Hello, folks. My name is Chris Rouse, and I would like to welcome you to this podcast. We are here uh, today in the fourth week of the liturgical season of Lent. And as the section of T.S. Eliot's poem uh, that we will read today begins with, uh, the color violet or purple is often uh, a color during Lent that symbolizes repentance. Uh, It's just associated with this liturgical season. You may Uh, You may sometimes see ministers um, during the season of Lent leading services wearing the color purple or violet or uh, having that color somewhere in their sanctuary. So uh, if you want to really embrace the Lenten season, um, then perhaps you can look through your wardrobe and find something that will visually remind you of repentance. Just a side note there. I'm also excited today because I'm going to be talking a little bit about The Veil, which is a live presentation from Unity Dance Troupe in Cleveland, Tennessee, that shares the message of creation and redemption through dance. I've had the opportunity to see this live, and it is just awesome. So stay tuned towards the end of the podcast. I'll be talking some about how you can experience this live performance for yourself uh, or possibly inquire about bringing it to where you are. And we may also have some coupon uh, codes that I'll be talking about. So a lot going on today. Let's get started. This is Pneumaturgical. Let's begin today with this short prayer uh, adapted from Isaiah Come, and let us walk together in the light of God's Word and Spirit, that we may hear and obey His purposes, and walk together in the paths He has planned for us. Amen. Our scripture reading for today comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And I will begin at verse 7. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. 
It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The Word of God, the message of the good news of Christ inspired by the Spirit, Spirit given to strengthen God's people. Amen. Also, during our Lenten journey, we've been working our way through T.S. Eliot's poem, Ash Wednesday. And if you visit pneumaturgical.com, there is a PDF copy you can download if you're wanting to read through it yourself. And uh, we are going to read today through section Who walked between the violet and the violet? Who walked between the various ranks of varied green, going in white and blue in Mary's color, talking of trivial things, in ignorance and knowledge of eternal dollar? Who moved among the others as they walked? Who then made strong the fountains and made fresh the springs? Made cool the dry rock and made firm the sand? In blue of lark's spur, blue of Mary's color, Sauvignon Vos. Here are the years that walk between, bearing away the fiddles and the flutes, restoring one who moves in the time between sleep and waking, wearing white light folded, sheathing about her folded. The new year's walk, restoring, through a bright cloud of tears, the years, restoring. With a new verse, the ancient rhyme, redeem the time, redeem. The unread vision in the higher dream, while jeweled unicorns draw by the gilded hearse. The silent sister veiled in white and blue, between the yews, behind the garden god, whose flute is breathless, bent her head and signed, but spoke no word. But the fountains sprang up and the birds sang down. Redeem the time. Redeem the dream. The token of the word unheard, unspoken. Till the wind shake a thousand whispers from the you. And after this, our exile. As we move into this week of Lent... We are now, as I mentioned, in the fourth section of T.S. Eliot's poem, Ash Wednesday. This particular portion we read through just a moment ago, it begins to sound a bit different. 
to me, and if you've been following along each week, you may notice that this section, uh, it does sound different from the first three sections of this poem we have already covered. Literary critics have noticed that T.S. Eliot moves almost into what they call a a liminal or in-between space, um, almost mixing reality and dream. And I believe that Eliot was quoted once saying something to the effect that people have a kind of a lower ability (laughs) to inhabit dreamlike spaces. And Actually, a a line of this section of the poem speaks of this uh, when Eliot says, one who moves in the time between sleep and waking. Now, the writing in this section is just beautiful to me. It's mysterious. It's haunting. The pattern of logic uh, starts to just break apart. And you are now in a world where many experiences and symbols and illusions are mixing together. As I've mentioned before, it's likely that the experience Elliot went through as his wife faced severe mental illness, uh, of course his own conversion to faith, which is, uh, I think, what this poem is, is kind of communicating, And then, of course, Eliot's incredible knowledge of literary works, um, particularly with this poem, Dante's Inferno, all of these illusions and symbols and experiences, they meld together on the anvil of his writing. So what is forged for us here then? Um, What can we uh, settle on in this week of Lent, um, among all of the symbols that Eliot is is offering. And I want to draw focus towards these lines that that they come um, toward the end of this fourth section. I'm going to read them again. The silent sister veiled in white and blue, between the yews, behind the garden god, whose flute is breathless, bent her head and signed, but spoke no word. We were introduced in uh, some of the previous sections of this poem to a central feminine figure that kind of emerges, and this figure appears here, placed in a garden. The description of this female figure suggests perhaps that it is a figuring of the Virgin Mary, Uh, which leads to many layers of possible meaning, and that comes from the way that this feminine figure is described in white light and the blue um, and the white, which are are often Mary's color, of course. Now, she is between yew trees, and she is veiled. And I want to pursue some reflections, some ponderings, with you on the dreamlike scene that is painted here. Yew trees are fascinating in of themselves. They were sometimes planted in church cemeteries. They were symbolic and and are still symbolic in ways of both life and death. If the branches of an old yew tree 
um, hang low, uh, low enough to touch the ground, the tree can root again at that spot. And so as I was reading about yew trees, um, there are yews uh, in parts of the world that, that are thought to be thousands of years old. Um, there's this ancient kind of tradition or myth, you could say, that uh, Pontius Pilate may have played under the branches of some of these ancient yew trees as a child. And so there was this understanding of the tree being symbolic of a cycle of life and new life, um, almost kind of representing resurrection, if you will. But also the needles of the yew tree can be very poisonous. So there's also this idea that, that it represents death as well. Um, in fact, I, I read one commentator who mentioned that at times yew branches had been used uh, in churches over the years on Palm Sunday uh, for people to wave uh, in representation. And these yew trees are in a garden here in Eliot's poem. And this imagery of a tree, of a garden, of life and death, it draws me back um, into the biblical story of creation and redemption, kind of anchored back into that element of faith that is present and conversion that is present in this poem, um, back into the Garden of Eden and the imagery of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, this conflict between life and death that begins in a garden with a tree. And here in between is this silent sister, Eliot calls her. She is veiled in this garden between these trees. Again, many ponder over you know, this woman being a figuring of the Virgin Mary because of, again, of the colors used to describe her. But I, I've also wondered, as I've read through this section some, uh, about the, the veiling and the silence of this feminine figure, if maybe there's not an invitation to journey back to that first garden, to ponder over the way in which Mary and Eve may share a, a thread together. And this does come out at times in Scripture. And this is the beauty of Eliot's writing at this point. He's leading us into the depths of our imagination, I think. This imagery of a veil that covers the face reminded me of an opportunity, as I mentioned at the very beginning several years ago, to experience a live presentation from Unity Dance in Cleveland, Tennessee, of the story of creation and redemption called The Veil. This live presentation, it's done through dance, and it's one of the most amazing and beautiful enactments of the gospel message that I think I've ever seen in my life. My favorite part is this opening sequence, you could call it, which visually presents the creation of the planets and the universe. It's creative. It's just stunning. Um, and then the way Adam and Eve are introduced and, and the imagery of the garden the whole performance is, is just amazing. And the focal point of what you are watching, which you may um, take from the title of the performance itself, it, it's a veil that is draped from the ceiling down onto the stage. It's just giant, and it's, it's beautiful, really. It's lowered at the moment that, that sin enters 
And I think there is such deliberate choice, even in the kind of fabric that is used for this veil. You can see the shadow and the silhouette of, of God behind. There's not a total abandonment, not a complete cutting off, but, but there is this separation, this veiling that happens. Now, of course, the veil is torn in Christ, and I, I won't provide any spoilers um, but it's just an incredibly powerful moment to see live um, on stage, if you can. And perhaps this is where the Apostle Paul is trying to focus our attention uh, in this, this scripture passage. The, maybe this is where he's trying to focus the attention of the Corinthians and what we were reading today. This passage of scripture itself is so thick with images from the Old Testament. The, the journey that Moses makes onto the mountain with God, the, the difference in, in the law that is inscribed in stone, and now our redemption through the Spirit in Christ, um, the glory that, that radiates from the face of Moses as he has been in God's presence this image of the veiling that must happen and then this unveiling that is is happening to us. I've sometimes heard this scripture used over the years to discuss how Christianity is a superior religion to other to other faiths. Um and I'm I'm just not completely sure that, that that's really the point Paul's trying to make particularly here. <laughs> I do believe that Paul is struggling, or is, excuse me, he's talking to folks here who are struggling with what faith in Christ meant, and they're trying to understand this, this new covenant that is here in Christ, and, and just what the, the work of God is, and Paul speaks um, about the work of the Spirit, as having a more glorious ministry to us, which is part of this unveiling and redemption. T.S. Eliot places us in his poem today in a Lenten garden, if you will, where our faith and our journey is at times veiled. We can only wonder what the silent sister is, is signing. And sometimes we go through moments in our journey of faith. I was uh, talking last week about our journey of faith being like a set of stairs that Elliot talks about. And, and there are times where we do go through uh, moments in our life, in our faith journey, that there does seem to be a veiling of what God is doing. There's a silence. Perhaps she is signing redemption. For that is what we hear an echo of in the next lines. Perhaps it's the wind of the Spirit that then shakes the thousand whispers from the yew tree. A thousand whispers of life and death. A thousand whispers of redemption from behind the veil. This is the work of the Spirit also. To shake us to life between reality and dream so that we can with unveiled faces reflect the glory of God. And after all of this, our exile. But perhaps exile is not bad. Perhaps exile means we are finally driven from the wilderness of our own sinfulness back to the garden of God's grace.
Will you pray with me today? Eternal God, Father, Son, Spirit, we are often left silent between our reality and dreams. We sense your presence, yet at times feel lost in veiled folds. We come once again to the token of words unspoken, the cross of wood, the yew tree of redemption. Holy Spirit, shake from us a thousand words of redemption and resurrection. Shake from us the veil that hinders. Shake from us the reflection of glory. May we welcome exile from death. May we find in the garden redemption. Redeem our time. Amen. Hey folks, I am so glad that you have joined with me today. Uh, whether this was your first time on this pneumaturgical journey or if you've been listening into this podcast uh, for a while, I hope you've been challenged and encouraged today. I know it was it was different in the reflection time, I think. In the podcast description uh, for this episode is a link to Unity Dance, and you can find there on their website uh, tickets for their upcoming live presentation of The Veil, March 25th through the 27th. You can use coupon code, and this is all together, lowercase, group discount, uh, and then the number 21. So again, that coupon code, group discount 21. Uh, So that's, yeah, and let me clarify, because I'm getting myself confused, group discount and the number 2121. Uh, And you can put all that in on their website. (laughs) There is also the option to purchase live stream tickets so you can bring the veil to wherever you are. And on Unity Dance's website, you'll find information about other services they offer, products, and even um, some contact information. If you are interested in bringing the veil to a particular location, Uh, Unity Dance has traveled both nationally and internationally. It's amazing. Uh, I had the opportunity to bring them to my congregation Um, for them to present the veil, and I think uh, you might be interested in contacting them about that. So again, uh, just check out those, uh, those links and different things, and I am praying that you are continuing to encounter the work of the Spirit in this Lenten season.